Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers is a Christian apologetics ministry led by Dr. Pat Zucran. Pat provides compelling messages from top apologetic scholars defending the Christian worldview and provides valuable resources for every person seeking answers to life's questions, as well as addressing key issues of our time. Serving to equip Christians who want to effectively engage their world for Christ is our focus. Many Christians believe that in order to believe in miracles, one must abandon logical thinking and reasoning. Is it reasonable to believe in miracles? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, our host, Pat, will be sharing a question of the week. Listen as Pat builds a reasonable case for miracles. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Question of the Week. Now, this week, we are talking about miracles and how apropos it is to the season we find ourselves in. Now, the question is this, says, Pat, is it reasonable to believe in miracles? I believe I need to abandon logical thinking to believe in miracles which are supernatural and require a leap of faith. Fair question and very good question. I know a lot of Christians struggle with this particular issue. Many feel that they have to, quote, jettison their brain in order to believe in some of the miracle stories found in the Bible, like the Exodus and the feeding of the 5,000 and accounts like that in the Bible. Many feel there is really no evidence for that and really they need to just take a leap of faith in believing these stories. Well, before I address the question, let me just say that miracles are absolutely vital to our faith in Jesus Christ. Philosopher Peter Kreft said this about miracles. He said, subtract miracles from Islam, Buddhism, Confucianism, or Taoism, and you have essentially the same religion left. Subtract miracles from Christianity, and you have nothing. Nothing distinctive. No reason to be a Christian rather than something else. And that's very well put, because without miracles, you cannot have the Word of God, which is stated in 2 Timothy 3.16 to be the supernaturally inspired Word of God, filled with miraculous prophecies predicting future events hundreds of years before they take place. Without miracles, you cannot have the divine Son of God, the miraculous birth of Christ, and then the miraculous life of Christ, his death and resurrection, then you would not have the Son of God. And without miracles, essentially we don't have salvation. There would be no resurrection from the dead. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, If Christ has not risen from the dead, then your faith is in vain. So miracles are absolutely vital to our faith in Christ. They're an essential part of the Christian worldview. In fact, of the monotheistic religions that are out there, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, all agree that God confirms his message and messengers with miracles. Just the question is, which one has the evidence to support its claim of miracles? Now, let's uh, address our question here. Is it reasonable to believe in miracles? And I'm going to say yes. Miracles are reasonable because God exists, right? Let's first define what we mean by miracle. C.S. Lewis, in his book Miracles, 
put it this way he said a miracle is an interference with nature by a supernatural power in other words miracles are an act of God in which he interferes in the regular working of the natural world so miracles are an act of God and if there is a God who can act then there can be acts of God in fact miracles are more than possible they're actual the greatest one has already occurred and guess which one that is God created the universe out of nothing in science it's called the Big Bang right where time matter energy and space exploded into being out of nothing now if God can create the universe out of nothing is it any problem for God to part the Red Sea if God can create the universe out of nothing is it any problem for God to feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish if God created the universe out of nothing is it so hard for God to have a virgin born Messiah I mean if God created the universe out of nothing is it so hard for God to resuscitate a physical body and bring it back to life now if there is a God who can act then there can be acts of God miracles are reasonable because as we showed in previous sessions here which you can watch on our YouTube site at the uh, Honolulu Christian Church or Evidence and Answers or at my site Patrick Zucharin we show that it's more reasonable that God exists that the existence of God is a much more reasonable position which with uh, much more compelling evidence than that God does not exist so in order to prove conclusively that miracles are not possible at all that you cannot have any act of God in nature you have to prove conclusively God does not exist I'm gonna say that is not possible no atheist has conclusively proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that God does not exist now one of the greatest arguments ever presented ever invented by the human mind is by David Hume his argument against miracles all right and David Hume's arguments are still used to this day every debate that I have been in and every debate that I have watched they're simply repeating David Hume all right and David Hume said this about his argument against miracles he said I flatter myself that I have discovered an argument of a like nature which if just will with the wise and learned be an everlasting check to all kinds of superstitious delusion and consequently will be useful as long as the world endures in other words David Hume said I have presented the argument that completely slams the door on miracles all right and he concluded if I have slammed the door on miracles I've pretty much slammed the door on religion and belief in God well did he really build an argument that completely slams the door against miracles well he presented three or four key arguments we'll just look at one or two today but his arguments are some of the most ingenious ever devised by the human mind and still used to this day and his basic argument goes like this he says natural law is by definition a description of a regular occurrence a miracle is by definition a rare occurrence the evidence for the regular is always greater than that for the rare so a wise man always bases his belief on the greater evidence therefore a wise man should never believe in miracles quite a formidable argument there and this is the argument that's used in one form or another by atheists today when they argue against the resurrection virgin birth or any kind of miracles 
When you look at his premise, natural law is by definition a description of a regular occurrence. Agreed. A miracle is by definition a rare occurrence. Agreed. We agree with that. The evidence for the regular is always greater than that for the rare. And that is the flaw in his argument right there. Premise number three. The evidence for the rare is sometimes greater than that for the regular. All right, the evidence for the regular is not always greater than that for the rare. Sometimes the evidence for the rare is greater. What do you do in a situation like that? Well, you have to look at the evidence. Hume's error is that he adds the evidence. He doesn't weigh the evidence. All right, for example, when it comes to the resurrection, billions of people have lived, billions of people have died. Very few, if any, we know have remained completely dead in the grave for several days and then risen from the dead. So why should we believe then in the resurrection of Christ? Well, if you add the evidence, all right, it's several hundred billion to one. If you add the evidence, you've got a strong case. But that's not what you do here. You need to weigh the evidence. In this one case, you've got to look at the evidence for the resurrection. And it appears, and we're going to study this on future shows, probably right around Easter time would be a great time to do this. But if you study the evidence for the resurrection, you're going to find there's pretty compelling evidence here that indeed Jesus died, was placed in a tomb, and three days later rose from the dead. The best explanation for that empty tomb, one of the most reasonable explanations, when you look at the evidence, when you weigh the evidence, I'm going to say is the resurrection. All right, so you don't simply add the evidence because it usually happens this way. It can never happen in a contrary way. Sometimes it does. Let me give you another modern day example. All right, when someone falls 400 feet off a volcanic cliff, does he usually die or does he usually live? Well, most of the time they're going to die. Okay, <laughs> they fall 400 feet off a cliff, they're going to die. All right, if they fall 40 stories off a building, and hit you know the ground they're gonna die we can take a million people and we'll probably get you know a million out of a million falling 400 feet they're gonna die is there a case perhaps though where someone fell about 400 feet and survived well if there is an account of a guy that fell 400 feet and survived before dismissing it right off the bat you're gonna have to weigh the evidence you need to look at the evidence are there eyewitnesses how credible are the eyewitnesses? Are there reports? What about the guy himself? Did someone talk to him? You need to take a look at that. And indeed, guess what? We have an incident where a guy fell, I believe, 400 feet off the cliffs of the Poly Highway there, off the Poly Lookout, fell 400 feet and survived. His name is Danny Yamashiro. He's a friend of mine. He is now an evangelist today. He miraculously survived that huge fall from the cliffs all right how did it happen well I don't know how he survived I mean it, it was pretty miraculous how it all happened right but you just can't dismiss it because you say well if people fall 400 feet off a cliff they're gonna die well, you have to weigh the evidence and in this case we have a lot of credible witnesses who are there the fire rescue team the police his girlfriend who saw him go over the cliff and guess what you can even talk to the man, okay? You can talk to Danny and he'll tell you of his experience, right? We have hospital records recording of his recovery. And 
We have articles in a newspaper. So when you weigh the evidence, guess what? The evidence for the rare outweighs the evidence for the regular. So you just cannot dismiss a miracle account just because it's a rare event. And in fact, in David Hume's own worldview, most who buy into his atheist worldview believe in rare events. You know, I just named one, the Big Bang, how the universe exploded into being out of nothing, which is pretty much what I would consider a miracle, right? But most believe in the Big Bang. That's not a regular event. That's a very rare event. It only happened once in our universe. It hasn't happened again, not that I know of at least. But most atheists would believe in the Big Bang. Most atheists believe in the origin of life on Earth how life came from non-life somehow spontaneously that's not a regular occurrence that's a very rare occurrence I think it's only happened once and we cannot repeatedly observe it again and again and again okay? the entire history of the earth really is unrepeatable so that's Hume's error there in his argument against miracles you just cannot dismiss it because sometimes the evidence for a rare event is greater than that for the regular. You don't add the evidence, you must weigh the evidence. Now, here is another argument from Hume, and I'm just going to briefly read it here. He says, There's not to be found in all history any miracle attested by a sufficient number of men of such unquestioned good sense, education, and learning as to secure us against all delusion in themselves. Nor are there enough witnesses of such undoubted integrity as to place them beyond all suspicion of any design to deceive others. Neither are there found of such credit and reputation in the eyes of mankind as to have a great deal to lose in case of their being detected in any falsehood. Finally, neither have the alleged miracles been performed in such a public manner and in so celebrated a part of the world as to render the detection unavoidable. So basically Hume is arguing this. He says, there's not enough sufficient number of witnesses to testify to a miracle like the resurrection. The witnesses were not people of integrity. The witnesses were ignorant or uneducated people. And the witnesses were biased. They were prejudiced. They were believers in Jesus. Well, there's several flaws to Hume's argument here. There are a sufficient number of witnesses. All right. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 names over 500 and he says you could many of them you can talk to today. That's one of the reasons we know 1 Corinthians is one of the earliest letters written in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses because Paul is pointing to the witnesses who are alive at the time of his writing and he says they can testify to this day. But not only that, you have the enemies of Christ. Remember, Hume argues that this occurred in an obscure part of the world and everybody was biased. No, the people that crucified Christ and wanted to see the Christian faith come to an end were in Jerusalem. They were still in the seats of power. The head priests were still there. The religious leaders who had crucified Christ were all there and guess where the preaching of the gospel begins. Guess where the preaching of the resurrection begins? Begins in Jerusalem. That's the worst place to preach the resurrection there because they know preaching that message would have cost them their lives yet they were willing to do so and Hume argues they were not people of integrity well they died for their witness to the miraculous life of Christ 
and the miracles of Christ. So they were people of integrity. The witnesses were ignorant and uneducated. Well, how educated do you have to be to see that a guy is dead? I mean, how educated do you have to be to figure that out? And then three days later, the tomb is empty and you see the guy and he's alive. I mean, you don't need a PhD for that, all right? You don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure that one out. People know miracles when someone is dead and when someone is alive here. They can figure things like that out. The witnesses were prejudiced, David Hume says. They were believers. Well, just because they have a bias doesn't mean they cannot be accurate in their recording and in their reporting. Everyone that writes, everyone that presents the news, everyone that does scientific investigation, we all have some kind of worldview bias. We're all coming at it from our particular worldview. But that doesn't mean the facts that we present are not accurate. So just because they were biased, you can question their testimony, true. But look at the facts then. The facts aren't biased, right? That's what we do in archaeology all the time. We test an archaeologist's conclusion. and We know each one has our bias that we come into. But the facts are there. We look at the artifacts, right? We look at the location. We look at the strata, we looked at the soil samples, we look at the pottery, we look at all the artifacts and investigate the whole thing and then we say, well, does his conclusion match the facts? All right, the facts aren't biased here. That's what you got to look at. All right, these were believers in Christ who wrote the Gospels, but what about the facts? Do the facts match up? Just like many of the accounts throughout the Bible, we have a lot of historical evidence that seems to match the account there. So Hume's argument there really has many flaws. Now compare that with something like the Book of Mormon, the origin of the Book of Mormon. Joseph Smith stated that he was led by the angel Moroni to discover this golden tablet, all right? And from this tablet written in Reformed Egyptian, he created the Book of Mormon. Now, no one has ever seen the golden plates except quote, the 11 witnesses. Now, the 11 witnesses there in Mormonism, they claim to have seen the golden plates and seen Joseph Smith translate the golden plates. In fact, three key witnesses claim to have seen the angel that presented the golden plates to Joseph Smith. Well, just a few years later, they renounced their testimony. In fact, six of the 11 were actually excommunicated from the church. Talk about being biased and not men of integrity. Now you compare that to the testimony of the apostles of Jesus Christ. They never wavered in their faith. They were severely persecuted, not only the twelve, but many others, and died for their faith in Christ. Under some of the greatest scrutiny and pressure, uh, they did not crack, and their stories were not seen, were not destroyed by inconsistency, or were not able to be refuted because the facts they presented were pretty solid. So Hume's argument there, one and two, have several flaws and therefore do not completely refute the possibility of miracles. Now we'll just get to one more here that Hume argued. He says, all religions have miracle accounts, and since the religions contradict one another, well, then it knocks out the possibility of miracles. Well, it is true that all religions have miracle accounts, but not all religions have the same kind of evidence to back up their statement. History shows us legends 
of miraculous stories develop two to three generations after the lifetime of the eyewitnesses, all right? 80 to 100 years after the eyewitnesses are gone from the scene, then legends begin to creep into the text, okay? Now, that's the pattern we see in history. For example, all right, and we see that in the world religions, the miracles of Muhammad in the Quran, all right, Muhammad doesn't do any miracles. In fact, Muslim apologists will acknowledge that in the Quran, Muhammad doesn't do any miracles. However, 200 years later, in the Hadith, the sayings of Muhammad, suddenly miracles begin to appear. All right, so supposedly Muhammad lived there in the 7th century, but about 200 years later, now in the Hadiths, we see miracle accounts appearing of the life of Muhammad, but we don't see them in the Quran. Well, that follows the pattern that we historians know, that about two to three generations later, legends begin to creep into the text. Buddha, Buddhist scholars will tell you in the earliest writings of Buddha, Buddha doesn't do any miracles. However, 400 years later, in the later writings, suddenly Buddha is doing miracles. And that's what you see. You see about 80 to 100 years later, after the eyewitnesses are gone from the scene, legendary miracles begin to creep into the text. Well, that's different with Christianity. The Gospels are first generation accounts written in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. They're written about 40 to 60 years after the life of Christ in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. And Paul's letters are written also in about 40 to 60 AD and he refers to many of the events of the life of Christ, the miracles of Christ, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you have accounts written well within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. That's different from the other world religions. And you also have about a dozen testimony of what we call hostile witnesses, right? Enemies of Christianity, Tacitus, Pliny the Younger, Josephus, and others, right, who attest to the many of the people, places, and events of the gospel writers, right? And those of you in the legal field know when you have enemy at the station, that's some of the most powerful testimony in court. So the evidence for the miraculous life of Christ is far better and more compelling than that which you will find in the other world religions. So yes, other world religions have miracle accounts, but they don't have the evidence to support its case like Christianity does. You know, I had an Indian student in class once, and I, I said, Christianity is uniquely confirmed by miracles. And he said, well, I'm from India, and we have Hindu holy men that do miracles all the time. So your argument is refuted. And I said, okay, there's a difference between miracle and superhuman feats. All right, I said, do you know the difference? And he said, explain that to me. I said, well, Hindu yogis can hold their breath for a long time. I've seen guys hold them for three, four, five minutes. That's superhuman. That's not miraculous. That's disciplining the body to do something that's superhuman. I've seen an elephant on a board walk over a man. All right, that's superhuman. I've seen yogis stretch in unnatural ways, or I've seen them fit in a tiny little box and be in that airtight box for 10 to 15 minutes. That's not supernatural, that's superhuman. Miracles are of the supernatural order. Jesus walking on water. Jesus producing enough food to feed 5,000 people out of five loaves and two fish. Jesus raising someone from the dead. 
Jesus prophesying and raising himself from the dead. I said, that's supernatural, all right? That's different from someone who has conditioned his feet so they develop the calluses so he can walk over hot coals. That's not a miracle over nature, okay? That's not of the supernatural realm, that's of the superhuman realm. So there's a difference between supernatural and superhuman. I said, you see the difference? And he said, yes, I see the difference. I said, so which one do we have, superhuman or supernatural? And he said, well, it is superhuman, okay? So yes, there are miracle accounts in other religions, but the evidence to support them is not like what we have in our faith in Jesus Christ. Well, those are some of the questions on miracles. We're going to continue our series on miracles next week. So send in your questions here at pat at evidenceandanswers.org. I hope you're enjoying this series, and I look forward to seeing you next week here on Question of the Week. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcast, like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org and you may do so right there online. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share it with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Yeah.